Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet journalist Gary Pomerantz, writer George Packer, and popular science writer Stephen Johnson. Using the lens of sports, culture, technological innovation, and family, these authors explain why journeying to the past is necessary in order to see the present in a new light. And find out which Hollywood legend is one author's dream narrator. Enjoy. This is Gary M. Pomerantz. My book is about an old man coming to terms with his life. It's about Bob Cousy, a celebrated basketball star from the 1950s and 60s, who played on the Boston Celtics, the greatest sports dynasty in America in the 20th century. It's also a story about race, regret, and encroaching mortality, and about the relationship between Cousy and his great teammate, the African-American center Bill Russell. I wrote my book because I had just published a narrative called Their Life's Work about football's great dynasty of the 1970s, the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was a book about football's gifts and costs. I started thinking, what if I examined another great sports dynasty as a way to take on the evolving tenor and tone of American sports during the 20th century? I considered baseball's New York Yankees of the 20s and 40s and 50s, and also basketball's Boston Celtics, who between 1957 and 1969 won an unprecedented 11 NBA championships in 13 seasons. Nearly all of those long-ago Yankees had died, but most of the Celtics Hall of Fame players were still around, including Bill Russell and Bob Cousy, Tom Heinsohn and John Havlicek, Sam Jones, Satch Sanders. I had interviewed the Celtics coach Red Auerbach in 2003, a few years before his death. Auerbach was a colorful curmudgeon, an authentic period piece character, and I thought, maybe I can capture those Celtics in their twilight years. Narrating my audiobook was a supreme challenge. This is my first time through this. It's my sixth nonfiction book, but the first time I've tried this. It was hard. It calls for a lot of careful concentration and boy, did I stumble a lot. My engineer was a master. I realized I had trouble pronouncing any word that's French. Cousy's parents were from France, and they spoke French around the house. And as Cousy shared stories about them and the conversations with them, those conversations were in French. So I limited the amount of French in the book, but it was enough where I stumbled over and over as I narrated this story. I'm excited about listeners getting to learn more about Cousy and Russell. When I was a young sports writer, I used to think how great it would be if Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig could have sat down as old men and shared stories about those legendary Yankee teams of the 1920s. Unfortunately, Gehrig died at 37 of ALS, and Ruth died at 53 of cancer, so they never had that opportunity. To me, Russell and Cousy are the Ruth and Gehrig of this Celtics dynasty. And now Cousy's 90, and Russell is 84, 
and they have this chance to talk. And it struck me as a powerful and a meaningful opportunity for both men. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast the legendary TV journalist and radio man Edward R. Murrow to read it for me. He's one of my journalistic heroes. His work was brilliant. He was in the game of journalism for all the right reasons. And during World War II, when he was in Europe, specifically in Britain, he would begin his broadcasts by saying, this is London. And there was always the pause between this and is. So I imagine him reading my book title saying, The Last Pass. Maybe that wouldn't work so well. I have three children. They're not children anymore. They're 29, 27, and 21. But when they were young, I used to read them stories. But even more than that, I would make up stories. And with my boys, these stories always involved danger and flowing lava and spaceships. And I could look into their eyes and see how locked in they were, how their imaginations were engaged. And I realized just the power of storytelling. So too with my daughter. Her stories were not about danger and lava. Her stories were about a little girl named Carrie Kapop. And everybody in Carrie Kapop's family had a name that started with C. It was Carl Kapop and Carrie Kapop and so on. And so too in her eyes, I could see the brilliant light of the joy of listening to a good story well told. Hi, this is George Packer. I wrote Blood of the Liberals because I discovered a bunch of papers of my father's that were sitting in the family garage for 20 years, and they gave me a wonderful trip back into the past of my parents and my grandfather, and I realized that these were all connected to each other in ways I'd never anticipated. And I wanted to tell that story once I was given that key to the past, the family's past, which was also part of the country's past. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be intimate. It's quite wonderful and quite unnerving to hear one's own voice, reading one's own words, listening to the sounds of one's own body while sitting in a little studio for hours and hours and days and days. It's far more contact with myself than I ever hope to have again in my life. I realized I had trouble pronouncing Carnegie, which I had pronounced Carnegie. I had trouble pronouncing Mekong, which I pronounced Mekong. I had trouble pronouncing machismo, which I pronounced machismo. In fact, there's lots of words I didn't know how to pronounce that I didn't know I didn't know how to pronounce. So I guess I've had a little education in pronunciation. I was excited to hear certain passages of the book as I read them that really did come alive because of the language and the rhythm of the sentences and the vividness of the descriptions, and those succeeded. But honestly, there is nothing more glaringly revealing about the quality of a book than reading it out loud. And many 
paragraphs I thought needed to be trimmed or cut. There's nowhere to hide when you're reading out loud, and it's something every writer ought to do before they send the book to the publisher. I thought the descriptions of my grandparents' marriage and the household in which my mother grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, had a real feel for the characters and the place and the time. And also the real key to the book, the climax of the book, which is in the second part and deals with my father's career at Stanford and the stroke that struck him down at the height of his career, it sustained being read aloud quite well. It was dramatic. It was painful to read. And I think it's pretty gripping and and listeners will be pulled into the story pretty deeply at that point. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Jimmy Stewart because his voice is so pleasing and so appealing. It's both funny and smooth and comfortable, and he's so American. It's an American voice for an American story. And he also was alive during much of the period of this book. I listened to audiobooks, and the last one I listened to, while reading the book as well, mixing listening with reading, was Middlemarch by George Eliot, read by Juliet Stevenson, who's a wonderful British reader, actress, and played the different parts as characters and did a beautiful job. Hi, I'm Stephen Johnson. How We Got to Now is a book that I've been working on in various forms for almost 10 years now. And at some point, it was actually a TV series as well on PBS. And it's a book about innovation and the history of innovation and about the world of technology that we now take for granted, things like electric light or sound recording. And it tries to go back and investigate all the fascinating people and groups and amazing collaborations that led to all these breakthroughs. So it's a book of stories, a book of history that is designed to make you see the modern world with kind of fresh eyes and to really appreciate the kind of innovation that surrounds us. And I thought it would be fun in making this book for a younger reader because I had been so involved, my kind of voice had been so involved with the project because we did a TV version of it with me talking constantly <laughs> in all the many scenes. I thought it would be kind of fun to actually record the audiobook. It ended up being a really great experience. It's funny, I've actually written, I don't know, actually, I've lost count, somewhere between 12 and 13 books now. And I basically, for almost my entire career, I have not read audiobooks. And so someone else has been the voice behind the books. And just recently, I read the introduction to another book that I have coming out. And that was in some ways my training for reading all of How We Got to Now is that I did the audio introduction for another book I've been working on. So by the time I sat down to actually do the recording for this, I felt like I was very well prepared. There's a funny thing when you read your own words. Sometimes what comes up is you realize there are certain sentence structures that read relatively well on the page, but that you would never write if you were actually writing them to be read aloud, particularly when you have a big clause in the middle of a sentence that is almost like a parenthetical clause that continues on on the other side. Those are things where you just read it out loud and you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. The other funny thing I find is that whenever I do any kind of reading, whether for an audiobook or a podcast, when I was Younger, I had a lisp up until when I was about nine or 10, and then I had speech therapy for a year or whatever, and I got rid of it. But when I'm concentrating on my 
reading in a formal place where it's being recorded, I can I can hear this lisp kind of sneaking out, trying to kind of emerge. You know, it's been dormant for 40 years, basically, but it's trying to kind of surge back into my mouth in some way. So if anything, the audiobook sounds a little lispy. It's the legacy of that. It's funny, when you when you read a book like this, you expect that the challenging words are going to be pronouncing you know, people's names are a lot of Europeans, for instance, like Zemmelweis in this book. But actually, that's not all that tricky. You get some help. And, you know, in many cases, I knew how to pronounce these people's names. The thing that's harder to predict is they're just these weird words that pop up. Sometimes the words that surround them make them harder. Like in this one, in the time chapter, there's a line about wristwatches. And I can say just there, I said wristwatches very easily. It's not a hard word, but something about it in this sentence just was impossible. And then once you get it in your head that you're not going to be able to pronounce this word that's coming up, it becomes this kind of mental block. And I think we recorded that sentence like six times. You know, it really shouldn't be that hard to say wristwatches, but there it is. How We Got to Now has so many great stories in it that are really fun to tell about these crazy mavericks who came up with these things sometimes well ahead of their time. And so whenever the book gets into that kind of storytelling mode, it's really fun to read. And, you know, you kind of find yourself following the story, even though you technically wrote it. And maybe my favorite one is a story about Frederick Tudor, who was the ice king, who basically came up with this idea in the early 1800s that he could carve big blocks of ice from frozen lakes in New England and ship it down to the Caribbean and eventually to places like Brazil and to England and sell this ice because there was no form of artificial ice making at that point in time. And he had this kind of crazy life where he went, actually went to jail briefly for defrauding his investors, but ended up making this vast fortune selling big chunks of a frozen lake, which I just think is so funny. So that story is really one of my favorite parts of the book to read. I really enjoyed this process, and audiobooks are so popular now. And I think it is increasingly important for authors to do it. It does take up a bunch of time, but I think it's good for people to hear you know, the voice of the author. And particularly with How We Got to Now, where it's the imagined reader is a younger reader. You know, I love the idea of being able to talk to them kind of directly and hopefully inspire them to go off and become a great innovator like the people we profile in the book. If I couldn't be the narrator, there's a show that was on the BBC many years ago, it was sometimes on PBS in the United States, called Connections. And it was hosted by this guy, James Burke, who was kind of a hero of mine and how we got to now was in some sense inspired by connections it has some similarities to that show and he wrote a bunch of books as well and he has a great you know kind of classic public television british accent and so if burke could read how we got to now i think it would be much more impressive to people <laughs> the two things that you really wrestle with when you're reading an audiobook i think are there's a tendency to go too fast and so hopefully you have some wonderful producers who are able to slow you down because you just kind of zip ahead and you realize you can slow it down and people will enjoy it more and you actually you'll make fewer mistakes in the reading the other thing is to just try and see the content as if you're reading it for the first time that's the trick of it you're fighting the exhaustion you have with your own words because you've read them so many times before and so to kind of come in and see the language and kind of almost experience it like you've never encountered it before so that your newfound enthusiasm for the material gets carried over to the reader or the listener. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.